0: The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the thirteenth chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the day comes when you will say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The gospel of the Lord. Lord
1: My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, my wife Amy and I uh, were at the Minnesota Orchestra concert on Friday evening. Chuck was on the stage, Mele was I'm sure involved in it, and I don't know if Chris is here, but a bassoonist from the orchestra is a member, and Kari is part of the administrative uh, orchestra as well. So, one note, I would just encourage you to support live music. We've had a couple wonderful concerts here uh, at St. Philip the Deacon in the last few weeks, My wife and I went to the concert on Friday night to hear specifically the violin concerto by Tchaikovsky. Um, Was anyone else there by the way? Anyone? Okay, well it was uh, remarkable. It was performed by a, a German violinist named Augustin Hadlich Um, who is spectacular. So if you have a chance to hear him sometime, I'd encourage you to do that. What got me thinking about this morning, though, was less the performance and more something in the program notes. If you go to a concert like this, of course, you know there are notes about the pieces themselves. So I'm not talking so much about Augustine's playing, but more about the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, which all you need to know about that is that it's one of the you know, top two or three uh, pieces written ever for violin. It's a core part of the canon for solo violin. And today it's, it's understood and r- recognized as a work of genius. It's incredibly difficult, it's beautiful, it's amazing. Um, but when it was premiered, not everyone was so sure. The violinists of the time thought it was unplayable, and the critical response when it was premiered in 1881 was really negative. Of the 10 reviews that were printed upon its premiere, eight of them, eight of them were negative, and they included this one, which was quoted um, in the program notes on Friday. So this is a famous critic at the time, Eduard Hanslick who he's referring first to another critic who was talking about visual arts, who had written a review earlier about how certain terrible pictures stink to the eye. And then he says, Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto gives us for the first time the hideous notion that there can be music that stinks to the ear. (laughs) Wouldn't call that a positive review, exactly. So that got me thinking, about, and we could talk about a lot of these, I'll just lift up just a few examples, about other pieces of art that we recognize today as works of genius, that when they were initially unveiled, the world wasn't so sure. So again, just as a, a quick couple of, of examples, Beethoven's Ninth, perhaps the most famous symphony in the world, when it came out, people were like, eh, eh, not so sure. Um, Handel's Messiah, you heard of Handel's Messiah? probably the most performed choral work ever. When it was premiered in London, the the reception was so lukewarm that they actually cut the run of it down by half, and they had planned to perform it the following year and realized, yeah, I don't think we can do that. So they punted and they waited two years to sort of let the dust settle from the terrible initial or lukewarm initial reception. So there's a couple of examples from music. And then just turning the attention briefly to the visual arts, has anyone heard of the Sistine Chapel? (laughs) Some of you have been there, I presume, yes? Yeah, so the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, actually the front as well, but I'm talking here about the ceiling, was painted by this guy named Michelangelo. Maybe you've heard of him? Yeah, so um, true story the ceiling was commissioned by the Pope at the time, Pope, um, uh, what was his name again? Julius II. Um, And it took Michelangelo four, four and a half years to do this. And he finally, you know, takes the tarps off and the scaffolds off and he brings the Pope in and says, you know, he reveals it to him. What do you think? I'm not making this up. The the Pope effectively said, "Uh, I don't know. I think it leads a little something. So, Four works that today, in the West, we consider works of utter genius artistically. Tchaikovsky's Violin Concerto, Beethoven's Ninth Handel's Messiah, and the Sistine Chapel ceiling. And yet, when they were unveiled, when they were premiered, the world didn't quite know what to do with them. The world wasn't quite so sure So what do we have today? We have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of perspective. We have the benefit of centuries of people who have been able to absorb those works of genius and recognize them for what they are, right? And we look at those original critics who didn't see it, and we think, how did you miss that? It's so obvious, right? Does that make sense? Okay. So I want now to turn that general sort of uh, posture to our Bible passage for today, which is a very short, I'm talking about the Gospel reading. It's a very short Gospel reading. Um, This is in Luke chapter 13. We are in the season of Lent, of course, so this is when Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. He's about halfway there. He has not arrived in Jerusalem yet. But he's on his way. This is Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. And it's a very short reading, and it's made up basically of two halves. The first half, some Pharisees say to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, we're warning you, and I think they're warning him in earnest. We're warning you that Herod is out to kill you. So you should be careful. You might want to get out of here. Okay, That's the first half. Second half is called Jesus' lament. Over Jerusalem, where Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? So, a beautiful feminine Im- image of God and of Jesus. Um, How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So Jesus is saying, I want to protect you, Jerusalem. I want to be there for you. I want to open my arms to you and invite you in. But you aren't responding, okay? Now, I want to suggest, and as always, I'm not saying this is the only way to read this passage, but I think it's a helpful one, and it connects us to our lives today. I want to suggest that there is a connection between that first half of this reading with Herod And the second half, and I want to suggest the connecting part is the emotion of fear. Fear. What do I mean by that? Herod, and by the way, this is Herod Antipas. This is one of Herod the Great's sons. Herod the Great is the Herod we meet at the birth of Jesus. Uh, Herod the Great has now died. He split his kingdom into three parts. Herod Antipas is one of those, uh, leading one of those three. And I think you could argue that Herod Antipas' whole life is driven by fear. Some examples of that. One, he recognizes that John the Baptist is growing in popularity and getting lots of crowds around him, and he, Herod is afraid of that, so he does what? He brings uh, John into custody, he puts him in jail, but Herod is also afraid of killing John, of going beyond putting him in jail because he has so many followers that he's afraid He, Herod, is afraid that if he kills him, the people who follow John will cry out to Rome and say, give us a new leader. We don't like Herod. So instead, he just puts him in jail. And we're told, by the way, he listens. He, Herod, listens to John in jail. He loves listening to John preach. So that's one way he's driven by fear. Then you remember this birthday party Herod throws for himself? And there's a woman named Salome, the daughter of his wife, Herodias, who dances the dance of seven veils, and Herod says, "Oh, that was so amazing. I'll give you whatever you want." And uh, Salome goes off to Herodias and says, "What should we ask for?" And Herodias hates John the Baptist. So she says, "Ask for the head of John the Baptist." And now Herod's afraid of what? Of losing face in front of all his guests. And so even though he likes John and he doesn't want to kill him, he kills him, out of fear. And then bringing us to today's reading, Jesus is now going around drawing crowds, and Herod sees that, and he thinks, oh my gosh, this is John the Baptist come back from, from the dead, and I'm really scared now. And so he tries to go out, as the Pharisees warn Jesus, to kill him. Okay, So that's some of what's get behind Herod's emotions, the dynamics of his psychological state. Now turn to the people of Jerusalem, and again, remember, Jesus has said, hey, I want to protect you. I want to share my love with you. And they respond how? They would not come. Why? One explanation, I think, again, is fear. Because in order to respond, and I think actually many of the people in Jerusalem were listening and they were aware of Jesus, they heard him preach, I think a lot of them were saying, I really like what this guy has to say. And I feel like I need what he has to offer But if I respond to him, it will mean what? It'll mean admitting that I'm weak. That I'm in need. That I can't do it on my own. And I'm afraid of how that's going to look to the people around me. So I'm not going to respond to Jesus, even though I really want to. All right, now remember, we looked back at those critics of those pieces of arts and we thought... How did you all miss these works of genius? And in the same way, I think we look back at Herod and the people of Jerusalem and we're able to say with the benefit of time and perspective, Folks, how did you miss what was right in front of you? Jesus was right there. All you needed needed to do was respond. And what would we want to tell them, I think, if we could? We'd want to say something like, You didn't need to be so scared. You should have responded. You could have responded. Which brings us to today. A famous person once said, life can only be understood backwards. This is this whole point of perspective and time, of recognizing it's easier to see things in the rearview mirror, right? So he said, life can only be understood backwards, but, what's the corollary? He also said, it must be lived how? How? Forward. Life can only be understood backward, but it must be lived forward. So, the simple message I want to leave us with today is to be able to learn from those people in the past who missed what was right in front of their eyes and say to us today, It's still here. He is still here. And so, I want to encourage us this Lent to have the courage to be weak and the strength to be vulnerable. To listen to Jesus when he says to us still today, do not fear, I am with you. And come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will do what? I will give you rest. As Jesus today opens his arms and says, come, I'll surround you with my grace and my love. Jesus is still calling us today. The only question is, how will we respond? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, today we pray that you will help us to learn from those who have gone before us who missed what was right in front of them. Open our eyes to the invitation Jesus continues to make to us today and give us the strength to respond to it. In all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.